Salutation Shays, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things strange and unusual, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And the undefeatable Marcus D, back from my hiatus after getting COVID. What is this, like the eighth time you've had it? This is the second time that I've had COVID. I'm, just, I'm pretty sure it's been I more was, than two. I was down, I was down, wow, it may have been, a, I, I may have had it for like a third time, but it was, it, it put me down, like it tried to put me down, but it can't keep me up. I've, <laughs> Marcus Diaz survived three blizzards, two F4 tornadoes, and a bad chimichang from Taco Bell. If COVID wants to take me out, it's welcome to try. Like, It's not COVID, but I have a freaking toothache. After, How are you going to compare your toothache to my to my recent bout with COVID? I don't, this was I, about me. I had me, COVID like Vic. a month ago. This, I, I, this was a, Not everything is about you. Some Most things are about me. <laughs> That's important to remember. I'm just bringing it up because it hurts literally like right freaking now. I want to get into alcohol because since I've had COVID, I've not been able to drink because I couldn't get out to get alcohol. Okay, we've got three choices here. They are all Bud Light, Seltzer Sours. We have lemon, we have raspberry, and we have apple. Which I one have already taken the apple for myself. Okay, then I'll have the lemon. Your seltzer beer. Well, I like them. They're good. And it's not seltzer beer. It's an alcoholic seltzer. Skinny seltzer beer. Downside, my mouth is so numb I can hardly taste it, though. This tastes like flat apple pucker. Wait, wait, wait. It's coming. It's coming. No, mm. this is pretty good. I like this. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that this is bad. You you called it flat apple pucker. First, apple pucker First, isn't carbonated. No. Well, that's okay. Good point. Okay. It tastes like mild apple pucker. That's a better way of describing it. No, no okay. That that sounds a, that sounds correct. Yeah. doesn't have as much of a... There's not as much seltzer in this as I thought. Like, not <laughs> Not as fizzy as I thought. No, it's not super fizzy. It's actually pretty nice, though. I really think like these companies should be giving us endorsements or something. But <laughs> Budweiser, give us free stuff. Yeah, yeah. Budweiser, if you are listening, send us stuff. We'll Please. drink more we'll, of your drinks. Actually, we usually yeah. like stuff. More of this uh, seltzer beer. It's a Bud Light orange and lime. But I also have a message for you, Budweiser. If any of your products suck, we're also going to say they suck. Yeah, I don't care how much money back. you give us. We're gonna we're just going to tell you what happens. I, I take my efficacy in alcohol extremely serious. Oh man! But I'm glad to be getting. I'm glad to be getting back to back here in the studio recording. We've got a whole month now where we're talking about time and space anomalies. Oh yeah, I'm very cool. excited about this topic. Yeah, so we're going to be a little moving away from cryptids, at least for Dude. this week. Oh, are we? Well, because I'm reading John Kill's. Strange creatures from time and space. No, well, I meant for like this episode. I'm not saying okay, we for can't this episode, yes. eventually circle back. Like, I, I might try to find a way to slip a cryptid in, but no, I, it's going to be a might. task. <laughs> there might be some surprises. So, all right. If you didn't catch our episode last week, last week was our episode where we talked about skinwalkers. It's finally the episode that's been able to keep <laughs> up with our birds aren't real conspiracy <laughs> So that we did. Why did that one blow I up? Don't I don't know. That was the one that was that people seemed to like for a good while. It was but, basically just us being very yeah, skeptical yeah. of that conspiracy theory. Yeah, we're talking about uh, Navajo shape, uh, which is, which is from the American Southwest. We talked about a whole lot of stuff, and we talked about that topic inside it out. And I highly go recommend you go check it out. Um, 
Chill7509, patron, said, The very notion of a skinwalker really points to the idea that at least one encounter with any given creature was actually a skinwalker, especially for cryptid because of the fact that we have no way of documentation for their behavior in the same way we observe lions and bears and others that we interact with and and actively observe. I would say spot on. Pretty much any cryptid could be a skinwalker. Yeah. Although I'm not ready to make that call. I'm just not ready yet, but I'll give you it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. So, uh, here we Actually, go. do you know what's a weird connection? I also might be reading some of the books on Skinwalker Ranch for this uh, for this month because there's a lot of time and space anomalies there. I agree. Recognize Soup Sid. The big thing about skinwalkers is that you aren't supposed to talk about them because if you do, then not only... Do you reveal yourself to, uh, because you reveal yourself to them, but you also give them some sort of power over you. So doing an hour long podcast about them is definitely a good idea. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> okay. So what, what have you had happened to you since we did that? Since I, oh, um, you got COVID. I got COVID. <laughs> I got sick. That's what happened right after we did that episode. I mean, I've been fine. I've had this toothache for like a long time. I really need to go get it checked out. But it's like, it's not something new. It pops up every couple months. So I got, for the most part, things are going good over here in the Vic Whateley camp. Why would they, the problem is, is again, if they were, if I got sick after the podcast, just because we were talking about skinwalkers, if they send something at me, why would they send something that I've got more natural immunity to and that I've recovered from before? Maybe they didn't know. That's, ugh, that's just my point. I don't think that was what, well, I don't think that's I think the problem is your house isn't curse proof. You need to get curse proof true. plus. That's like not take true. Care of your house. I have a standing appointment every day when I go home for the day that I turn around screaming to whatever's willing to listen. You are not welcome. I'm not afraid of you. And stay the F away from my gold. <laughs> <laughs> that is my standard greeting. I feel like I you're just inviting an invasion of gnomes to scour your property for your gold. I would dig that up just to make sure like gnomes hasn't haven't already stole your gold. I know it's still there. I've got my secret marker and I know that it's not been moved. He doesn't. He's not sure. Gnomes are going to just go digging from below. All right. Uh, Avarice Rex, the Dark Phoenix. Super dope dude. Oh, also on the Discord a lot. Yes. Always has some really fun stuff to talk about. And amazing artwork. So, uh, so is Snuffy Big Bird's Talpa. Love chatting on the Discord. Would like to chat with Ellie sometimes since my novel has witchcraft, mostly voodoo and Aztec, Ooh. but want to make sure it's realistic. That would be good. We need to get her on for more stuff. I know. It's always awesome whenever we get Ellie on the podcast to talk with her. Okay. When you're um when you're on the Discord, do you ever actually get on and talk to people? When I'm on the well, I'm okay. I'm generally getting on the Discord <laughs> when I'm at work, so no. No. Like I'll occasionally <laughs> get on and like chat with people on there. And Everest Rex like totally just hung out with me one day while I was cooking like zucchini noodles. Like, I was making homemade zoodles one day, and it was really cool. <laughs> the patrons helped me dodge work, which I super appreciate. But I can't sneak on and talk while I'm at work; otherwise, my coworkers will know, and they'll get they'll start catching on. But to answer your question about Snuffy's Big Bird, is he a tulpa? Uh, the answer is no, because most people don't realize that back in the '90s, no '80s, they confirmed. That Snuffleupagus is not Big Bird's imaginary friend. He is real. I have a counter. Mm. He was Big Bird's imaginary friend, but now has become so real, a tulpa so powerful, he now manifests enough that other people can perceive him and acknowledge him as real. He is the end result of the perfect tulpa. Maybe. But either way, what, what ended up happening was they actually, uh, there was a, they came up with a movie because whenever they had this movie to confirm that stuff was real, the reason why they did that 
But it was because Big Bird was going around telling people, hey, Snuffy's real. Nobody was believing him. And this was during the 1980s, during the satanic panic and, like, terrified being, like, you know, with, like, child sex rings and all that. And people were afraid that people, that kids would not, that adults wouldn't believe kids. So they had to, like, change that around so they confirmed him. They didn't do a very good job because everybody still believes that Snuffy's not real. But Any Laughing Fox or Creepy California stuff up? Nah, they need to be posting more. Oh, man, guys, come on, say more stuff. I love your comments. Yeah, go check out the episode. It's really good. All right, guys, today we're talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, I actually... The experiment where the Philly cheesesteak yes, was created. Yes, it was, which was the greatest experiment of all. That or the story of Rocky Balboa. That was oh, the real... That fil- that's really the real good. Philadelphia I, Experiment. I really like the Rocky movies. No, I, you know, it was funny because we realized that we, we were trying to come up with a, an idea for this, and I, I pitched this to Vic because it was it's one of the most famous... Time and space anomalies when it comes to it's well known, yeah, in 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 the field of the paranormal. So that was why I wanted to pitch that to him. I would so, say like maybe some of the Bermuda Triangle stuff might be more famous. We we've done a lot of that though. We, yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. we won't do a triangle, but I'm saying up to what we haven't done so far. But it involves military conspiracies, high tech stuff, all sorts of fun stuff. That's fun. So uh, if you've not if you're not familiar with the Philadelphia Experiment, I'll give a sort of a brief overview and uh, description. As generally the story is known. The Philadelphia Experiment was an experiment codenamed Project Rainbow by the U.S. Navy at the Philadelphia Naval Yard on October 28, 1943. The experiment involved the destroyer escort ship SS Eldridge in an attempt to turn the ship invisible to at first the naked eye and then to enemy radar. According to the legend, the initial experiment was to turn the ship invisible completely uh, and initially worked causing the ship to disappear in a green fog. However, it would reappear... Uh, and many of the crew of the ship reported symptoms such as dizziness, nausea, and in extreme cases, psychosis. After the initial experiment caused severe side effects, the U.S. decided to change its strategy and attempted to instead cause the ship to appear invisible to enemy radar. When the second experiment was attempted, this is when things initially went really wrong. The USS Eldridge disappeared in a fog of blue light and then reappeared in Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. The sailors aboard the SS Andrew Furuseth, included, including eyewitness Carl M. Allen, reported seeing the SS Eldridge plain as day before it disappeared, rematerializing back in the Philadelphia shipyard. When it returned the second time, there were reports of counts of crew members experiencing extreme bouts of psychosis, being physically merged inside bulkheads, and even some phasing in and out of existence on the deck. Shortly thereafter, the government, of course, covered it up, and all was not talked about until eyewitness Carl Allen came forward in 1955 to report his accounts uh, to the U.S. government. Okay, out of the box, one thing I want to address real quick is this one's pretty sus. Like, pretty extremely sus. I'm not saying there's nothing to it, but there are a lot of things you can point to that might be make you be more skeptical of this specific conspiracy theory than others. Such as? Uh, like Carl Allen. First, uh, almost everyone in his life had described him as someone who would constantly engage in deceit for attention and other fanciful things. He has a history of being a bit of a flaker. And then uh, he pursued another investigator trying to drive him into this field to some resistance. Some people believe he might have driven that investigator to suicide. 
and then had sent a copy of that guy's book with a lot of annotations to the CIA, trying to make it look like three people did it, but it was kind of easily attached to him. And then in his later life, he recanted, saying he made it all up, but then later on then said, no, it really did happen. All these things make the theory a little more sus than I would normally normally consider a law of ours. Well, I mean, the guy that he sent it to, the guy that he sent it to was was Morris K. Jessup, okay? And if you don't know who that is, this is a guy that wrote a really famous book called, I mean, it's The Case for UFO Unidentified Flying Objects. So, I mean, this was a this was a, a really famous UFO researcher that he sent that he sent this that he, whose book that Carl wrote in, and he was writing annotations in the side, talking a lot about the Philadelphia experiment. Um, whenever he sent it to the U.S. government, whenever he did that, one of the things that I thought that was interesting is even though that he was supposed to be this really out there guy that you're talking about, you know the. The, the U.S. government didn't really take it that way, though. I mean, they took it seriously, and they decided to investigate it. I mean, I mean, this is when, I mean, this is during the 1950s, whenever, you know, you're seeing this huge investigation and identifying flying objects from the U.S. government. And there's something I want to talk about in that, because something strange happens after you get to, I believe it was sent to the CIA, correct? No, he sent it initially to the U.S. Office of Naval Research. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, he sent it to the Navy, who eventually turns it over to the CIA. But the CIA doesn't write this off easily they actually produced 200 copies of it mm-hmm. which i think is pretty interesting when i say this case is sus sus i just means it's suspect i i don't mean there's nothing to it because i think there's a lot of mm-hmm. loopholes a lot of people who write this one off don't catch but i think that we have to proceed with a higher degree of skepticality than normal right but yeah i, I always thought that that was interesting that they had made the 200 copies for distribution if they didn't think there was anything to it. Well, yeah. I mean, this is during the time, and I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I want to say I believe this is during the time for for, for 1955 is during Project Blue Book. So during Project Blue Book, I mean, you're having you're having instances in which you have the government going out investigating UFOs and strange things that are connected to it. So, I mean, I imagine during this time, this is when you have the government trying to respond to these kinds of cases. So I imagine they're, they're getting tons of, you know, erroneous or superfluous reports but the fact that they're taking Carl Allen's annotations in Jessup's book to heart, I think that that's I think that's something worth noting. So, did you catch the whole thing about it having odd capitalizations and odd punctuations? What did that make you think yeah, when you came no, upon that? No, no one talks about that. I, it, it, I mean, it screams cipher. To yeah, me. no, that it did the yeah. same thing for me too. Why is nobody else talking about this? Whenever, you, when, why is nobody else talking about this with the with the Philadelphia experiment thing? Talking about the annot the annotations that that Alan makes. I mean, I mean, it's not uncommon for, I mean, for people within the, you know, within the Navy when it comes to communications to be encrypting things. Yeah. And ciphers were very much in vogue at this time period. Like he could have easily have learned how to do fairly complex ciphers because it's something that was in the zeitgeist. Right. And I mean, and so it it makes me, well, terrifically what that makes me wonder initially is, is whether or not if the, Philadelphia experiment is supposed to be a cipher for something else. I would say that's possible. The other thing I was thinking was there's just a hidden message within that book that they were trying to communicate. The message was not the direct message they were trying to communicate. mm -hmm. They're trying to communicate the hidden message. Right. Well, the whole point of the, of the, the whole point of the Philadelphia experiment involves the concept of like super tech. 
Yeah. You know, the idea that the U.S. government is is delving into some sort of technology that's so super advanced that it's not, you know, that we don't understand at the time. And, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because in the initial story, what they'll say is this is the first time that the government is doing this. You know, it, it kind of shocks me to think that, you know, do you really think this would be the first time that the U.S. government would be attempting something like this? No, of course not. Involving personnel. No. That are, you know, not, that are not like specifically like secret like government workers <laughs> like people people that they can control so no i don't believe the statement that if this is real that this was necessarily the very first uh, account of them using this this type of technology i would say it'd be highly unlikely because think about like the people that were involved these are people trained in the scientific method and they would be using scientific methodology because they're trying to get to the clearest most concise understanding of this new technology yeah in you, if they're going through the scientific method, their first step is not going to be a battleship filled with soldiers. They probably did microchasm experiments on, you know, start with a piece of paper, then something more complex, work up to a lab rat, and then maybe take your swing at a uh, destroyer with a bunch of people in it. Now, that being said, that does not say that they probably didn't know what would happen to the soldiers. Yeah. Whenever the experiment was conducted. I would like to point that out for because it's not like... The United States government during the 1940s and 50s was necessarily the most wholesome entity at the time. I mean, you're talking when you're talking about like nuclear technology. This is also the same time in which the United States government, doing research that we 100% know, is doing uh, after that, did experiments with U.S. soldiers where they gave them a patch and and like a vest saying, "Don't worry, this will protect you from nuclear radiation." Knowing full well that it wouldn't do that, by the way. That, I, I laugh, but it's actually very un- yeah. unfortunate. Fully knowing that that would not work, um, just to see what would happen. But this is way before uh, you see a lot more safety measures put into place. You know, so it didn't necessarily have to be that deep state. But... I totally, totally true. Like, I, and we can even look at things that they did shortly afterwards to kind of get an yeah. idea of their ethics efficacy. Because, yeah. like, this wasn't that long before MK Ultra. So my very first thing that I that I that I'm curious about though with the Philadelphia experiment is whether or not this is a situation in which you have the average person misunderstanding oh, average yeah. technology. Like one of the one of the things that a lot of people point out when it comes to the Philadelphia experiment is I, I like to call it like the telephone conundrum where basically some people have claimed what they were testing was a technology that makes the boats immune to magnetism, basically um, degaussing, yeah. um, where they basically wrap some wire around the ship. That This is a really super simplified version of it, and use that to make it so the ship is not magnetized, so Nazi uh, magnetized mines and torpedoes don't dunk into the hull and blow it up. Yeah. And if you're looking at this, there's a good chance this would cause a condition called St. Elmo's Fire, which would look like the boat had begun to glow. And also the story of um, people fusing to the deck. If this wasn't grounded properly, this is a lot of electricity. It could cause you to basically melt onto the metal if like you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I think there's some possibility of that. Like basically uh, the th- part of the theory is uh, one person says, oh, we're making our ships invisible to Nazi mines. And then the next person says it a little different. Eventually someone hears, we're making our ships invisible. 
And then you see this like project where like a boat's glowing in the harbor and then the rest just comes out of nowhere. Now, you might be asking yourself, you're like, no, there's no way average person would misunderstand that sort of technology and say that. And I would say you're wrong because the human, you know, I don't think people, humanity has had the best track record when it comes to seeing new advances in technology as not some sort of paranormal, you know, hocus pocus. Now, for like, for example... You know, advances in holistic medicine back in the Middle Ages, seen yep. as you know witchcraft. witchcraft got people burned. You know, got people burned at the stake. You know, I you know if you've ever listened to our old video where I talk about the Nazi bell, you know, and you talk about like what that looks like is acorn shaped and it's glowing with this radiant energy, and everybody thinks that it's massive, uh, you know, alien propulsion technology, but a lot of it mimics nuclear radiation and you know and, and looks like the top of a nuclear of a of a nuclear rocket you know might sound a little bit might sound a little bit like uh might look like alien technology the person that doesn't know what they're looking at i it, mean this, this is old, something that can happen is that old adage that if science is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic right you know so i i, I think this could be an, i think this could be an example of of something like that now that being said if it was something as simple as that sort of technology back in the day, uh, you know, I we what we know now for the government and very what we know that the, the government did that was pretty heinous. Back, I mean, back in the nineteen forties and fifties, we know today like what some of the technology that they were working on and some of the terrible things that they've done, and nothing really in the Philadelphia experiment. If it's what me and Vic were just talking about. I would think would really keep them from divulging that. Yeah, and another problem is, did we ever implement that technology in that sort of form? I don't know if it was in that sort of form, but I know that we've developed technology to mimic the idea of either a refracting refracting light. No, no, I'm to or, to, de- to degauss or to gauss. Oh, that uh, that I don't know off the top of like, my head, but I, I don't think we did it because, and even if we did, it definitely wasn't. In that form of appearance. The other thing is, this theory of the uh, telephone game kind of relies on one particular hinge. Someone would have to start referring to it as, we're making our subs invisible to the minds, which I think is vernacularly not how people would normally say it. And I might be wrong. I'm making just an intuitive argument here. But I kind of feel like people would say, we're demagnetizing the subs instead of saying we're making it invisible because it's not like they're fighting radar. If they're fighting radar, then sure, maybe, and maybe this would affect sonar to a degree, but if they're just trying to demagnetize it, I kind of would challenge that that makes sense that that's the uh, words they would use. Well, I mean, unless a person that's not necessarily involved in that type of technology, I mean... Maybe, but... It just sort of it just sort of depends on the person who and who's and who's using what. I mean, like who who would be involved in this project that also would not be sufficiently educated to have to convey to it as invisibility. Well, I I will say I think it's a matter of culture when it comes to military personnel. I mean, I think that whole that whole caveat of if you're working on something secret, you don't talk about it. You know, and I think that's something that is very. Uh, I mean, I, th- I I would totally believe that people would keep it very secret if they were working on something like that back in the day. I mean, like, I got a good friend now uh, whose husband was in the Navy. And we'll flat out just say, yeah, we were working on communication stuff that's classified. Can't talk about it. Yeah. And I believe that he will probably continue to tell me that for the next 50 years. You know, I just, you know, so 
it's it's quite possible that they would probably just keep this tight lipped, or they would just keep it something of yeah, we look invisible. You know, it just sort of depends. I, mean, I I I would believe that it's possible that that would be a vernacular term. It just it seems less likely to me right. than them just saying it the other way, which right. would have prevented this particular chain of things. Not truthfully, this is not the theory I buy. Although I think there are things that do make it plausible. I don't think it's the most likely possibility. Right. Now I will say that the uh, the whole I one thing that I do want to challenge though when it comes to the context of the distance. Because it's going from Philadelphia to Virginia, right? Like two hundred miles. We're getting into the teleport part. Well, assuming, yeah, assuming like that, it, yeah, that it that it that it that it went that far. Also, uh, did you mention that it supposedly rode five minutes yeah, before yeah. it departed? Yes, or, or or ten or ten minutes or so. Yeah, it's supposed it's supposedly according to the cat the, to the instruments on the the ship that it actually had gone back in time, which is really really interesting. Well, one of the things that you know that that I. That, that I really got to was the idea that if you, if you're really going to keep this under wraps, cause there's nothing really in the Philadelphia experiment that seemed like that hanky that we wouldn't learn years later if the government did something wrong. And if they were working on some sort of casual technology that we eventually did later, we probably would hear about it. So what that tells me is if it really did happen, that means that it would have to be either a super tech or we did something way bad. <laughs> Or did something against another country, and we just don't want to admit it. Um, and it just has got to be state classified. So the whole idea of the first one is that maybe we really were working on some sort of super tech technology. One of the things I do want to get into, is, and it's on vain for this teleportation time travel thing, right? is there's a lot of um, like mentioning of like Einstein in unified fields. Um, I can't claim to be a big understander of unified fields, but when I did look it over, I did pick up that they were talking about what in physics is sometimes referred to as the fundamental forces of nature, um, which are four things, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, gravity, and electromagnetism. The thing about those is they share certain commonalities. One of them just being, we know how they work, but we don't know why they work. And the other one being that to a degree... They work extremely mysteriously, at least like openly, like what we know in physics books, they don't make a lot of sense. Like, why does electrical current work? Well, electrical current works because electrons follow electrons. Well, why do electrons follow electrons? What? Like in what sort of force, if there's so much energy in an atom that it can be released into an atomic explosion... What's containing that much energy and keeps atoms from just popping like popcorn all around us? The will of God. And perhaps, the thing is, these are questions that in the public we do not know the answer to. So they're already diving into science that is extremely mysterious. And I I just want to throw that out because when people talk about this, they don't really go into that aspect. And I want to kind of stress that they're talking about some very fringy stuff. Right. And if you answered any of these questions, it would be like a huge revelation in um, science, as I understand. I'm, I'm not a big physics guy. I'm just explaining this to the best of my knowledge. Right. Well, I mean, if you if you look at, like, though, the, the, the timetable for, you know, the history of UFOs or, or, or contactee stuff, you know, you're de- we're here in the 1940s. So 1940s, 1950s is about the time that supposedly the U.S. government is getting their hands on some of this technology, you know, getting their hands on some of this technology, possibly like alien propulsion, 
propulsion technology, supposedly. So maybe that might be what some of this initial... So maybe that's what the Philadelphia experiment is, is one of those early sorts of attempts at mimicking alien propulsion. Because that's something that I think that Bob Lazar talked about when he was trying to have being told by the government to replicate alien propulsion was they manipulated gravity as a way to move things. Also think about the sort of glow that was reported on the ship and think about some of the UFO landing cases we've talked about where they talked about the ship emitting a certain glow, usually like bluish, sometimes yellowish, but fairly well matching with this. Absolutely. You know, so what you may have ended up having is a situation in which, you know, the ship is messing with gravity as a ma- as a means of propulsion and moving. And what happens is it moves. And we've already seen, though, whenever you start manipulating, like, gravity and its impact on time, that might have been what happened was it moved. And that's why it was back in time. Yeah, but it... I, I have some issues with that, with that thought. Sure. I mean, yes, you can stretch out time like gravity be stretching time. But, like, sorry, just being dumb. Um... But I don't think what occurred was it traveled between point A to point B at the speed of light, causing the temporal disruption of it arriving too early. Because there's going to be too much matter in the way. If you if you took a, a ship in our atmosphere and traveled it that fast, the ship's going to be a wreck when you get there because there's debris in our atmosphere. Those The particulates in the air, the water... Us moving it that fast is going to cause so much friction that the boat's probably not going to come out alive. The boat's going to be broke. Even in water? No, especially in water. But, okay, think about this. You run your hand through water, and you feel the pressure against the water, right? Mm -hmm. You run your hand faster, you feel the pressure stronger. Mm -hmm. That's because the water molecules are being forced to get out of the way of your hand. If you could do it fast enough, it would even heat up and create bubbles because it's heating up and evaporating the water. Now, think about the friction that would be generated by moving at the speed of light and that effect on the hull. But I don't think necessarily you're, you're moving faster some propulsion if you're just moving gravity and you're moving your spe- and it's moving necessarily area around you. The temp- the temporal theory relies on speed. It has to be based on speed or you don't get a time disruption. I mean, I can't really argue I would say with it, but I wanted to say when Bob Lazar was talking about the propulsion that it involves moving sp- space around you necessarily more than more than you i could be wrong but don't hold me to that but anyway my point being that i i actually don't think that you could i don't think that it's 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 that hard of a stretch for it to be able to go from point from where it was to to virginia i I don't think it moved if if this is true and this did happen i don't think it moved physically i think it moved through means that we don't understand i think i think either a it teleported which at least according to the story, this was done on accident. They weren't intending to teleport. They were just trying to do another invisibility test. And my issue with that is this. If you accidentally teleport something, you would expect it to then arrive in a place accidentally, at random. I wouldn't expect it to arrive at a totally separate naval fort. Because that's an extremely convenient place for it to land, right? Mm-hmm. One of my thoughts is, if we're talking in the realm of super science, maybe the ship did not travel, but what happened was it switched it with where it was in another dimension. Basically, we traded with another d- dimension our um, uh, USS Eldridge's. Well, I, but the thing is, though, if you look at the what the story is for the first att- experiment versus the second experiment, you're talking about 
screwing up bending light versus bending space? Uh, I mean, I I feel like yeah. That's, I, I mean, I'm yeah. I mean, I'm not a super scientist <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but I imagine that you don't screw. I imagine that if you're trying to deal with one sort of technology, that you don't accidentally delve into something like that. Like it's just to me that they seem very far apart for what you're attempting to okay. do. Uh, this is just to make things clear. I am spreading a little bit of bread over a whole lot of toast right here. I'm spreading my little bit of knowledge of physics over a whole lot of topic. Bread over toast. So I am. They say bread over toast. Sorry, I meant butter, butter over, over toast. toast. <laughs> so I'm going to take a swing at this real quick. <clears throat> In the process of bending light, you're effectively bending something that is traveling at light speed, as light generally travels around the speed of light. I.e., why we call it that. Uh, light does travel at a speed where time is distorted. It actually travels at, theoretically, the fastest speed you can go. Because, like, Einstein E equals MC square, light is the fastest you can go before time literally stops. And his theory of, like, that's the event horizon, that if you moved faster than light, that you would hit the point where time stops, because at the faster you move, the slower time goes. And he thought that, the speed of light was at the maximum it could be without time just stopping on the object and no longer flowing at all. So you are effectively manipulating something that does affect time and to a degree space as well in the physics sense that sometimes they can be interchangeable. Like now I can't explain why that would then translate into teleportation specifically, but you are messing with something that is already messing with time. You're messing with light, not with your speed. That's the thing. Like, I no, but light de facto tra- is going to be traveling right, around the speed right, of light. But, but essentially, with trying to turn yourself invisible, what they're trying to do, you're trying to bend light to appear invisible. That's what you're trying to do. Well, I, my point was you're already manipulating something to wrap around it that is already pers- pushing the maximum boundary of time. Right. But again, but I, but I don't think it requires that. M- I don't think that it's that you trying to bend light around you is going to make you accidentally screw up the fabric of space trying to do i don't think no i I don't i don't necessarily think so either like we could take uh fiber optic cables and run light beams around like me and you could wrap each other up in fiber optic cables and run light through it and i don't think either of us would teleport in the process you know we we have technology now where you can sort of do sort of the predator thing yeah it's by bending light through fiber optics and that that one instance of a person said i put that on and i accidentally transported that we know of yeah but it's there's not even one made up. <laughs> like, that's how easy it could be done, and there's not one of those. That's why. I, that's why I have a hard time with the Philadelphia experiment. Like, but do you know that? But did you know that you can travel from Philadelphia to Virginia today by boat? Yeah, I'd believe that. Yeah. So that's actually something too that people often claim too is that what actually happened was with the Philadelphia experiment was that the Eldridge actually traveled to Virginia. Well, sorry, left one night, traveled to Virginia, was seen there during the day, and made it back the following day. I think that's possible, yeah. You know, as an example, most people think they go, oh, you're traveling from Virginia to that. You can actually you can actually do that because they're connected. Uh, they're connected by one of the channels. Uh, what's the channel's name? The Chesapeake-Delaware Canal, sorry, that uh, that it could travel down. So you're, you're basically just saying maybe they'd moved in the middle of the night to there. Yeah. Yeah, and, maybe, that, that, and, then, and then, like, the sailors just woke up the next morning and saw it and had to assume yeah, that. And, this, and the story just becomes extrapolated, the whole thing teleported. Yeah, and it just got blown way out of proportion. Now, I, it's, I, it's possible. And this is a theory that's hard to back. There's not a lot of people who've came forward, and many of the people who've come right. forward are 
less than maximum trustworthy and flip-flopped a bit. And some of them were like, oh, I saw the, um, the oh, God, what was that movie? Uh, the Philadelphia Experiment movie, and that unlocked all these hidden memories that I was involved in the project, which I'm not saying is impossible, but I think, once again, an, all the evidence for this case all lies in the suspect territory. None of it I see as being a hard like thing that we can confirm and really talk about. Mm-hmm. They're all like just very suspect. It's very weird. St- it is very, it is very, very, very weird stuff. But it's also very interesting. Something that I want to talk about though is the fusion part, because <laughs> yeah, supposedly, supposedly, uh, people literally. I've heard everything from just a dude had his hand fused into the bulkhead to people are like halfway stuck. Like you've ever watched a uh, Star uh, Star Trek: The Next uh, The Next Generation, like. Sort of like USS Pegasus style stuff or like halfway stuck through. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, this could happen with the degaussing experiment experiment if they end up heavily electrifying the metal and people are basically kind of melt their skin's fusing because of the heat. But there's also this idea in physics, since pretty much all matter is just a whole bunch of atoms stuck together. And there is space between atoms, that there's this small possibility that anytime that you hit a solid object with a solid object, they could line up just right where they could pass through. The problem is these are layered, so eventually you're going to hit something, and even if it happened, it'd probably be at such a micro level you would never perceive it. But if something was causing the vibration to cause them to space out further than that, then what could happen is one solid object could much more easily slip into a separate solid object. I remember we were talking about this. I was listening to this doctor. uh, It was Dr. Allen. And he was talking about being able to vibrate uh, the atoms so fast that eventually, like, you can actually, like, start passing through other particular objects. Yeah, because as you as you vibrate something, it's picking up friction. Yeah. That's doing two things at once. One is spacing out the atoms. And if you're doing it fast enough, you're causing the, act- the atoms to lose electrons because the electrons are spinning so fast, it's literally shooting them off. How did you not catch my reference to the flash right there? Oh, I have no clue. <laughs> Dr. Allen, Dr. Barry Allen. I didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought there's just some <laughs> random doctor named no, Allen. They do that at the Justice League. That's how the flash moves through. Because he vibrates so fast, his, his whole body goes through things. But it's still at least somewhat scientifically sound. <laughs> That's. I'm glad to know that the Justice League is doing their homework, that they're looking into some real technology. I mean, they probably screwed something up somewhere so, in there, but like, I'm just saying. There, there is a basis, at least, for a possibility. If we're going into the area of, like, pseudoscience, then that's one thing. Another thing could be maybe it teleported and two objects teleported into the same space. I like how Vic just advocated that it's quite possible that the USS Eldridge tapped into the speed force. <laughs> that is not what I <laughs> like, flippin' says. That, is, that sounds like, yeah, you know, it's grounded something that the USS Eldridge tapped into the speed force. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know what? The Flash isn't the only one that can tap into the speed force. There's lots of other th- people that can tap my, my into the speed force. My point is more, it wouldn't even necessarily need to have the atoms agitated, which is effectively what we're talking about. Right. It, in theory, could happen through other means. It's just it makes more sense when the atoms are agitated. First Flash, Grill of Grot, <laughs> Eldridge. Down. That makes me that that, that man, that's really cool. The Justice League seems to be able to. Uh, that, that they're they're doing their research. I'm glad. I'm glad to see. I'm, I'm going to start kicking you under the table. What? Right I'm in the dick. Then right it, not me. I'm just. That's all I'm saying. But that's all. That's all I'm saying about that. But no, I truth. But truthfully, man, I you know it, it's it's weird because they they've had reunions like World War Two reunions from people from the SS Eldridge 
that have gotten together and all of them deny what happened. Now, that being said, also the, the rumors that they literally just all have their minds wiped, you know? So, I yeah. mean, let's, let's keep, let's keep in mind. If you, if you remember back from our, uh, podcasters who stare at goats episode and after that talking about like what they did in the 70s it was this government for a very long time has been looking for mind control drugs um they're very interested in that cia has been really 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 interested in that that's just fact so i mean it's quite possible the explanation for that for why nobody ever reports this is just the government erased evidence of its logs and wiped the minds of the ship of the people from the ship okay i think this is a good segue into our final thoughts i agree so, what are your final thoughts on it? On it? I think it's a extremely influential conspiracy theory. But I think it's more likely to be not a real one. And I know you guys aren't used to me saying this. I'm usually not the one who's playing the skeptic card. I think this one's more likely to not be real than likely to be real. I, or, they've done such a freaking good cover-up, I can't find it. But... At this point, I'm going to have to say, not that likely to be a real thing. Nope. I'm going to go the complete other end of the spectrum and say that this is a conspiracy. This is a cover-up. The United States government was experimenting with the Speed Force <laughs> in 1943. And the USS Eldridge was the first experiment in doing that, and they covered it up. So what do you guys think? Push wait, 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 wait. Going back to the Flash, doesn't, like, light sometimes swirl around him, too, and he gets a glow when he goes really fast? Yeah, I think, actually, later, he is just the living embodiment of the Speed Force. Actually, I think I'm switching sides. Speed Force, 100% yeah. confirmed. See, Flash is real. I Yeah, I, I fully convinced Vic uh, with my yeah. explanation on yeah, this. Yeah, I, I, you've got me coming around like, to it. Let us know below. Do you guys think that it was just some... Black technology by the government. Do you guys think that it was just an entire hoax? Do you think that Alan was just crazy? Or do you think the U.S. soldiers tapped into the Speed Force? That's what happened, like me and Vic. Um, I'm going to get a Flash t-shirt and write USS Eldridge on yeah. it. Uh, if you guys uh, are listening to this, uh, make sure you guys like this uh, like this episode. Hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that notification bell so you guys can get notified whenever we put up new content. We try to put up new content every week. If you're listening somewhere where you can leave a review, please leave a review. It helps out the channel so much but until next time guys keep believing because we'll keep listening all right guys we're gonna slide into the pep talk segment of this podcast like i'm check sliding out. into another one of those seltzers that just, just a whole bunch all over myself all how did i yourself. even do that way to go way to go mr cool uh, yep Mr. Cool, me over here spilling my seltzer all over myself. Yeah. If you want to check out the rest of this podcast with me and Mr. Cool, or I'm sorry, I apologize, Mr. Cool and I. Can, can I be Captain Cool for alliteration? Not with what you just did. <laughs> Not with what you just spilling beer over there. No, you cannot. All you got to do for check out this podcast is go over to our Patreon sign up for as little as a dollar a month. You get the rest of these awesome podcasts, as well as bonus videos that we put up, as well as access to our Discord, where you can hang out with us. Woot woot, and I will maybe occasionally talk with you, because yes. I do that occasionally on Discord. Yeah. $2, uh, $2 more of a month, you can get access to uh, our poll to vote on uh, the theme for our next month, which we're going to put up, which we're going to decide after this episode what we're going to make for our new topic for people to vote on Ooh. so all right all right so moving on some more involving into the philadelphia experiment because it's it's very interesting when you think about the philadelphia experiment because well what if 
the Philadelphia experiment was something really in the paranormal. I mean, even though it failed, assuming that's what happened, and they call it a, a failure. I don't think they would. Yeah. It's not like they would have stopped. They would have just kept going, and they would have just kept researching it. Oh, of course. Yeah. So was there possible evidence that possibly maybe the technology similar to the Philadelphia experiment has ever been attempted somewhere oh, else? that's what you were getting at. No, this is a really fascinating question. Um, I can think of a lot of applications of this if you wanted to just go into it. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's a projectable energy field, which... The fact that there was a glow makes me think it possibly could be. Imagine if you could hit a enemy ship and then they start falling through the decks and fusing with the metal. Or even if you're just spacing out atoms, if you hit like the bottom of a uh, enemy ship with that, water is going to start flowing in through the spacing. 